for joining us on Health Affairs This Week. I'm Leslie Erdelak. And I'm Rob Lott. Today we're getting into healthcare pricing and some new price transparency requirements for hospitals that have long been the subject of debate, but more recently made their way into the news, right? Yeah, last week, Leslie, um, we saw a letter come across, a bipartisan letter from the Democratic chairs and Republican ranking members of both the House Energy and Commerce Committee and its Health Subcommittee. And they called on the Department of Health and Human Services and its new secretary, Javier Becerra, to begin enforcing uh, a relatively new hospital price transparency final rule. And this is a rule that took effect at the beginning of the year, right? And, um, you know, I think at the crux of the issue, and I think a lot of people would agree, at least on some level, is that patients should be able to know the price of services before they get to the hospital. And that's all the more important because healthcare costs are on the rise. Um, So can you say a little bit more about price transparency and what the rule is supposed to do? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Leslie. It seems pretty obvious that people should be able to know the price of a service before they purchase it. But I think some of the debate uh, around uh, this rule illustrates just how complicated it can be. So basically, this rule uh, requires hospitals to publish a public list of all the standard charges for items and services and to display them on their website in a consumer-friendly format. Specifically, they're looking at uh, shoppable services, which are, in theory, the things you might want to do some advanced research about before um, choosing where to go. Um, So we're talking about an ultrasound or a knee replacement as opposed to, say, an emergency procedure, right? Because you're not that likely to pause and do a little internet research before you get your heart attack taken care of. Yeah. And so it's interesting because I think this comes at a time, right, when we shop online for just about everything. So why shouldn't consumers be able to search online for personalized, accurate price estimates um, for their medical care. Um, So when you say the rule says standard charges, I'm sure a lot of people want to know, like, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, that can mean a lot of different things, obviously, right? Um, In this case, in the case of the rule um, that just took effect, hospitals are required to make public a few different versions of charges. One, gross charges. Two, the discount cash price that they charge. And this is typically what is charged to someone who doesn't have insurance. And then three, and this is kind of the the biggie, payer-specific negotiated charges and uh, de-identified minimum and maximum negotiated charges for all items and services, um, or at least the shoppable services. So in other words, uh, it's possible a hospital might have negotiated one price with Blue Cross Blue Shield for an MRI and a different price with United Healthcare, and they're supposed to be putting all that out there. And this is a pretty significant change from where things uh, have stood previously. Right. And I don't think there's any one rule with enough teeth to sort of standardize um, all the kind of proprietary formulas that go into healthcare pricing. Um, you know, on the one hand, you 
can say the process is becoming more transparent. But I think at the same time, you know, we're rehashing uh, a really popular policy debate, which is how useful are these shoppable lists, you know, at least in the way that they've existed up to this point. And there's a long and somewhat troubled history, I think, tied to these rates because before this new rule on hospital pricing, um, the the Affordable Care Act was already requiring hospitals to disclose their prices and they had to update them every year. And so the hospitals would just post their charge masters, which are basically, you know, standard list prices for hospital services. But over time, CMS said this practice wasn't really going to cut it because, and, you know, I'm paraphrasing one of the funnier comparisons I've heard out there, that charge masters are like the MSRP in the car buying market, right? Because they're highly inflated and rarely do they give you an accurate picture of what you're likely to end up paying in the end as a consumer. Wait a second. You mean I I don't have to pay MSRP when I go to buy a car? When's the last time you bought a car? I I hate to oh, tell no. you I hate to tell you this, Rob. <laughs> hate to be the one to break it to you. <laughs> but you know, incrementally we've seen we've seen changes to this rule. It's had to withstand some legal challenges along the way, but I think what we're seeing in getting to this point is a lot more specificity around how those kinds of standard charges can be defined and then of course, what hospitals need to do to get consumers this information in a way that's really meaningful. What have we seen in terms of the impact of these kinds of rules on people's experience? Well, question for you: Have you ever have you ever tried to use one of these cost estimate tools on the website? No, I don't think I have. I I think I've used this for car insurance, but never for medical. Uh, services. Have you? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. Um, So no, never. But, um, you know, that changed last night when my curiosity prevailed. And um, I I went to the websites for a few big health systems um, here in the DC metro area, which, you know, if you study hospital markets, maybe that tells you something already. Um, But really, I wanted to see, number one, if the information was available And number two, if there was a way that I could sort of click my way through to a cost estimate. Um, And that's all, you know, because these tools aren't typically going to allow for apples to apples comparisons when you're looking across different hospitals. And I know you can say a little bit more about some of the downsides and some of the challenges we're seeing with all this, but I wanted to put myself in the position of the consumer for a minute. Interestingly, in my experience, while there was sort of a standard interface for all these hospitals, there were some pretty major differences in terms of the catalog, if you will, of different procedures and surgeries that are available to you that you can sort of price out by um, a unique billing code that gets used universally, you know, no matter where you go. In my case, I wanted to find out the cost for major joint surgery. So a knee or a hip replacement, like you said earlier, Um, since it's an extremely common procedure. And, you know, I put in my insurance information and sure enough, it crunched the numbers. And um, we already know that the costs of you know, the costs for these types of surgeries really do run the gamut for various reasons. So that's not really what I was looking at. But um, do you want to take a guess at kind of the 
average fee for a knee replacement? <laughs> knee replacement. Let's see here. Hmm. Uh, left knee or right knee? Right knee. It makes a difference. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's say $20,000. Okay, you're close. So, so on average, you know, if you're looking to compare across different hospitals, um, which isn't always the best idea, you know, we're talking somewhere in the $30,000 range. Um, but this is, this is really interesting. So even within the same network of hospitals who operate within the same health system, the fees ranged from about $15,000 on the low end all the way up to about $56,000 for the same procedure. Not really a surprise um, for some of our listeners who are you know, really attuned to this kind of stuff, but it was definitely eye-opening for me. And I think, obviously, we need to interpret those numbers with some caution and remember that each hospital kind of uses its own algorithm in determining those prices. But I think it was a really good exercise to kind of see firsthand um, how game-changing this rule may or may not be for consumers, um, but also how some of these problems with compliance and other things can sort of manifest and maybe where um, some of the criticism is coming from. Yeah, that's right. I think it's clear this is a step up from, you know, where we were, your description of relying just on the charge master uh, data previously. I think this is a step up, but clearly far from perfect. Um, and for one, it's clear that a lot of hospitals aren't following the rules completely. Uh, last month on uh, Health Affairs blog, we published a post by uh, Morgan Henderson and Morgan Muslim, uh, both from the Hilltop Institute. And in January, they looked at the 100 largest hospitals uh, by bed count to see whether or not they were complying with the rule. Of those 165 were, quote, unambiguously non-compliant. So some posted no data, some posted uh, data but didn't make it searchable, some included some data but not the payer negotiated rate. So it's a real mess out there. And that's really um, what I think is behind that letter uh, I described earlier from the Energy and Commerce Committee to HHS saying, we've got a we've We've got this rule. Now we've got to enforce it. And uh, so it'll be really interesting to see what happens next. Right. And I I don't want to both sides this thing, but um, but that being said, you know, I, I do believe in empowering consumers and letting them shop around for their health care. But I also understand why there's been so much pushback from the industry from the American Hospital Association and others to make these types of changes happen in the environment that we're in. And, um, you know, I sort of understand the need to keep a close hold um, on their pricing strategies. Yeah. So uh, stay tuned. I think uh, we've got a, a a couple other rules and regulations on the horizon for um, the years to come that should maybe uh, make these data a little more uh, useful and reliable as they become sort of part of a broader uh, price transparency strategy across the industry. So I think we both agree that 
price transparency is probably here to stay. It really does seem inevitable at this point. And the steady momentum that we've seen with um, some of these policy changes, I think, really underscores that. So I think that's it for us. Thanks, Leslie. Everyone, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and uh, tell a friend. Yeah, and we hope you'll check back in next week for another episode. Thanks, Rob. Thanks. Bye-bye.